vengeance. I am the knight. I am. Matt Laswitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast. Where each week, my co-host, Will Nevin, and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big board. That's creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Brother Will, it's a special day. Happy birthday. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Number 37. It's a good, uh, it's a good week. Um, Summer child. Still, ah. still three years away from that, that 4-0 that, you know, I have since crossed and we'll be crossing a year further on in another two weeks i i think uh everyone when you turn 30 you should you should get a bottle of bourbon and just the idea that you know you're you're no longer young when you turn 40 i'm not sure what you should get you know 40 wasn't bad you know, no, no. 40 would have been better if it wasn't, you know, 2020 because nothing was great in 2020. Oh, that was a bad year, Matt. That's a bad year. Yeah, that was the year that originally the plan was to go to Edinburgh for my 40th because we went Aww. to Dublin for Amber's 40th. And then that was going to change because my brother was going to be getting married right around my birthday. And then it was 2020 and that wedding got pushed forward a year and who knows when we'll get to Scotland. Ah, fucking pandemic. It took, uh, it took a lot from uh, some people, but it took a little from all of us. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's a good week. I'm, uh, I'm excited to, uh, to get into the three stories that, that I picked for this episode. I'm uh, I'm also excited to begin just another year of this show. Yeah, we have a good time. We have a good time. And we are grateful for everyone who listens, for our Patreon backers most of all. But we are grateful. We've got a nice listener base and we appreciate it. You freeloaders, though, start chipping in. Yeah, Pull Star your weight. Star Trek. And, and, you know, as of this recording, we're a couple of days away from our next Patreon bonus episode. Where we talk about Mask of the Phantasm. That'll have been out for a couple mm-hmm. of weeks by the time you listen to this, but it's good stuff. It is good stuff. I got that 4K six film set uh, after uh, I bought the four film set like a like a fucking mark. <laughs> so they get you. Why, why are you going to put out? the first four movies on 4k i know you're gonna do the the original six i know it why did i buy those four because i'm a fucking mark there are some things that one just does that with do you know how many times i own the sandman <laughs> i own the sandman so many different ways i've avoided a couple of the the recent additions that they've changed, like the whole series in four trades or the big omnibus. I know someday I'm going to be like, boy, it would be convenient to have that in that way on top of my single issues, my trades, <laughs> my absolutes, my annotated editions. Uh, Matt, you know, you know, just as well as anybody, you can't read a goddamn omnibus. That thing doesn't work. No, you can read an absolute. It takes some effort, but you can set up something and you can read it. Omnibi are next to impossible to read 
I, I bought the New Teen Titans omnibus when it first came out, the first 20 issues of the Wolfman Perez New Teen Titans, when that was the only way other than tracking down the single issues, you could read them. And I read it and I'm pretty sure I broke my wrist about halfway through. <laughs> Look, I, I bought the Charles, uh, Charles Soule, Ryan Brown, Curse Words omnibus just because I missed out on the very limited edition Letter 44 omnibus. I felt guilt after missing out on that series that I actually read and enjoyed. So I bought the omnibus for the series that I like kind of paid attention to. I get you. Motherfuckers. But, but well, you pick three stories. And so tonight we're going to, we're going to do those three stories. Uh, apologies to everyone. They are not good. <laughs> well, we said we needed to get some more stuff towards the bottom of the list. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, Chappelle show, uh, before he, you know, outed himself as a fucking turf, you know, he had that episode that he talked about, you know, this is, this is all snout. This is all stuff that didn't make the show that we canceled that we we uh, you know cut out because they're all bad. Uh, these this is all snout. This is a one hundred percent snout episode of uh, of bad stories. Uh, and I'm sorry, right? Like I was uh, pre-show, I told Matt like what one of them I know was going to be bad. I maybe had hopes for the other two. Nah, they're all ass. One tonight is one hundred percent ass. Let's get on with it then. The only way out is through. Eat that ass, Matt. Eat that ass. Our first story of the night is Scarecrow, Master of Fear. This is the Batman Volume One Annual Number Nineteen. The writer is Doug Mensch, with pencils by Brett Blevins and inks by Mike Manley. Colors by Stuart Chifitz. Chifitz. Letters by Albert Guzman. Edited by Jordan B. Gorfinkel and Denny O'Neill. The cover date is September of 1995. Witness the origin and first battle between Batman and one of his greatest nemeses, Jonathan Crane, the sinister scarecrow. This is from a year where all of DC's annuals were year one themed. But Batman year one, pretty well known. Been done. And so each bat title annual focused on a villain. We've actually done the Robin year one annual from this year already, but this is the Scarecrow annual, the origin of the Scarecrow. This actually set up in some ways an earlier story we did, uh, Scarecrow two-parter by Mensch and Kelly Jones. A lot of the stuff set up here kind of pays off in that. And that one, if you all look at where it falls on the list, yeah, should have remembered that. So, again, I I am at fault for all of these stories tonight. And I picked this one because Matt had told me, oh, yeah, there's a Scarecrow story where he kills his dean. And as an occasionally aggrieved academic, I was intrigued. But that part plays such a small role in this story i'm so fucking disappointed granted i probably could have remembered that but i read i read this story when it first came out again it's the the mantra of matt read this story when it first came out in 1995 it's been a it's been a minute 
Mensch does some stuff with Scarecrow here. He takes a lot of the aspects of the character that are established before this. The bibliophilic nature of Scarecrow, the fear stuff, the scene in Crane's classroom where he just whips out a gun and shoots a vase and freaks out his students is stuff from earlier bits of Scarecrow history. But adding in some of the weird Ichabod Crane stuff. Yeah, when you get knee deep into the legend of Sleepy Hollow, you have made a wrong turn when it comes to Scarecrow. That uh, that should be subtext, not text. Even if it was mentioned in earlier Scarecrow stories, it was just like, oh yeah, and I have a name like Ichabod Crane. It was not a formative bit of Scarecrowness. And the thing that always bugs me, bugged me past tense because he isn't writing bad stories anymore about Mensch's Crane is that he tries to make him a physical threat. This because thing, he's a dancer. He's yeah. a dancer, Matt. Violent dancing and kung fu mixed together. And yes, Ichabod Crane was... Crane style. Crane style. It's perfectly fine if some of Batman's villains aren't a physical threat to Batman. Scarecrow? Riddler? Not guys who should be able to throw down with the Dark Knight. No, Scarecrow should have gas. He should always have some formula at hand to scare the shit out of Batman. Joker should have knives uh, or some other like devious trickeration. Bane should be able to beat the shit out of Batman. Most others, uh, you know, KGB, certainly. I'm Croc. But yeah, again, but yeah, guys like Riddler and certainly, certainly Crane. Like, no, you should be able to shove Crane into a locker. That's the whole point here. And that's what Mensch really, really, really reinforces. He leans into Crane as the aggrieved. There I is... was bullied in high school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a reason why Carrie goes on a rampage at the prom and we don't see middle-aged Carrie White suddenly decide to go and use her telekinetic powers to kill the people who bullied her 20 years ago. Yeah. And we've we've seen this before, right? The the mensch yeah, this was the men, the other mensch scarecrow story. This is the yeah, one Yeah, down at 155. Right. That's the one where he now goes and hunts down the bullies that are introduced in this story as a grown ass man. It it would be the same as if Lucas had decided in The Phantom Menace to show kids like picking on Anakin for being a bedwetter. Like, you're not really building this guy up as a villain. It's just really pathetic. And there's an, a weird line in here about you know, the last bit of fiction he read was the wonderful Wizard of Oz because it had a scarecrow who was a coward. Uh... Like, really? Again, subtext. We didn't need to bring in the, the scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz, who had no brain. Yeah, well, I'll have a brain. And also, it's odd that he mentions him, doesn't mention the Cowardly Lion. If you're, if you're going to go Oz, go full Oz. Don't just pick and choose. Because he could have, you know, had said, said something about the lion in there, but nope. Another thing that Mensch really fucked up here is basically the university hierarchy, because he talks, at least on two occasions, about the dean and his regents. 
as the people who fired Crane. So here's how a college works. There is a president or maybe a chancellor, depending on you know what university you're talking about. They are the top dog. Uh, maybe there is a system chancellor and then you have a president or whatever. They are hired by either a board of trustees or a board of regents. You go like seven steps down and then you get to a dean of a college. The dean has maybe department chairs under, under them. So to say that a dean has regents is just fucking college word salad. Um, I don't know what Minch was going for there. The best we could go for in trying to make sense of that would be something like, a dean and department chairs or the dean and the college faculty. I think that would make the most sense in terms of people who would decide to fire Crane. It would be like the dean and the other faculty of the, of the department. But uh, the dean and his regents makes no sense at all. Or the president in his regents because he's going to get the school sued for shooting off a gun in class and shrapnel hitting a student in the face. That, I would yeah. assume, you'd bring in the president of the school. It'd be like, and who would have regents? Yeah, but I don't, I don't even know if it necessarily go up that far. Crane did not appear to have tenure at this point. So it wouldn't be who had just become a, just been bumped up to professor at that point. Yeah, because he, he killed the guy, he killed the previous professor. And look, I totally sympathize with Crane in that if a university doesn't have an opening, I mean, what you're going to do? Not to say that I would kill to get an opening in a, in a university, but sometimes that, that might be what it takes. And, and by the way, that professor's name was Bromowitz. Like, oh, I don't know, Brom Bones, the antagonist of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, God. Uh, you know, between this and another story we're going to uh, read tonight, I'm not sure that Mensch is a really good writer. Mensch can be a very good writer. He wrote half of Nightfall. He uh, wrote Batman and, 400. And, and, and he wrote Batman Dracula. Right. He's written good stories. It's just Scarecrow is a character that when handed to him, he seems to focus on the wrong thing. And the other story we'll get we'll discuss that later because I have I have thoughts on that as a prototype of other things that fortunately don't we don't have to deal with that much as a podcast which is nice oh um, boy but there's also a thing about this story that bugged me and it's also something that we'll see in another story tonight where there is suddenly a weird addition to force the back half of the plot to work because throughout this whole story it's these flashbacks to scarecrow and his origins while he's done all of these you know things at the university and he's exacting revenge and then suddenly out of a 40 page comic at page like 28 it's suddenly like oh by the way i'm gonna start getting a chemical factory owner to pay me to kill off his rivals you couldn't have seeded that somewhere earlier it just feels like you needed something for scarecrow to do so batman could find him yeah that was a weird turn this certainly felt like this is a story that could have been told in easily a standard issue didn't have to be an annual sized story or you did the thing with the chemical factory owner at the beginning and that's 
the driving plot of the story and the flashbacks to Crane's origin are somehow worked into that. It, it just felt like, okay, I need more plot to get me over the, the finish line. So let me do this. I don't get this, this inherent need, at least on Minch's part, to just make Crane so pathetic. Oh, I wanted to go out with this girl on a date and she showed me some attention and she lured me into a basement and then I got scared in the basement and it was literally, they, they, they did the, the sleepy hollow thing at me and then they threw a pumpkin at me and I was really sad. And, but then I made a vow and I was never going to be sad again. And I was going to get even with those guys. It's just so just pathetic. Yes. And I mean, this is me going a little pop psychology here, but I've watched a lot of procedurals and I've watched a lot of thrillers. It's rare for a serial murderer psychopath to escalate and then de-escalate. Crane does this thing at the end of high school at the prom where he scares all of the bullies when they're on lover's lane and causes them to panic and the big bully drives into a, a tree and he's crippled and the girl that you mentioned before dies so somehow for six years after that he doesn't do anything weird and creepy and violent he's just bookish jonathan crane again nobody made fun of him in those six years to set him off it seems strange that there wasn't any further example of him being a psycho in those intervening years. And then he's also got this obsession with guns, which feels really out of place. And, and talking specifically about the prom, it's a water gun. Like, again, how fucking stupid and sad is that? Like, Scarecrow running around with a water gun, scaring people. Like, just like, what, what, what the fuck are we doing here? There's one good beat, the booby trap that he leaves behind in his apartment with the scarecrow that pops up and the gas in the, the head, knowing that whoever set it off, assuming would be, you know, investigating him. And then the bomb that goes off also triggered by this. It was, it's a scarecrow trap. It's a very well laid out, Machiavellian, Rube Goldbergy sort of thing, which is what Crane should be doing. I, I just want to state, just to give all the good listeners a heads up, this is the best story of the night. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> this you is know, this is as best as it's getting. And uh, again, I'm sorry. I'm real sorry. I like the art. I like Brett Blevins. He does a good chunk on Shadow of the Bat and was probably best known other than that for doing a good run on New Mutants and on Marvel Sleepwalker. But he draws a great scarecrow. His scarecrow is all gangly limbs and weird angles, which is sort of Blevins's trademark as an artist. A lot of his characters are these spindly characters. So he was born to draw Crane. Ties into the violent dancing. Yes. He draws a scarecrow story that one nightfall 
bit that we didn't read the bit outside the main plot oh the, the, the bit that looked good with scarecrow and anarchy yes that's drawn by blevins so we will see more blevins scarecrow at some point or another but yeah this just didn't work as well as i would have liked it to you know the the animated series did it best like the inciting incident for jonathan crane to turn needs to be in college it needs to be he is an aggrieved academic fuck everything that came earlier fuck all this muling high school shit and it is i didn't get tenure because they didn't like what i was what i was doing they didn't like that time i hit a student with shrapnel i'm gonna show them there's your scarecrow I mean, he can be a weird, lonely kid, but it it doesn't need to be the thing that drives him. No. And it, at least this story is not him as an adult preoccupied with settling those high school scores. I think we've hit everything we need to here. Oh, boy. So that means it's time about Batman Annual number 19 on the big board. Okay, so right now, the big board has 168 stories. Number one is Batman Year One. Down at number 30 is Tower of Babel from JLA 43 to 46. At number 60 is Nightfall Part Two, Who Rules the Nights. Coming in at 69 is Detective Comics number 571, Fear for Sale. A much better Scarecrow story. Oh, yes. Uh, at number 90 is Robin Year One, the Robin Annual from this same year. A much better story. <laughs> yes. Down at 120 is Shadowbox, Batman 467 to 469. A much better story. <laughs> yep. Down at one. Whatever story that was. <laughs> down at 150 is Batman in Darkest Night, the Elseworld where Batman has a Green Lantern ring. And down at 168 is... Batman White Knight. Boo. So we were just talking about the other Scarecrow story, which is down at 155. This is still better than that. This is the story where he is, again, going after the, the high school quarterback and whatnot, right? Yes, the guy in the wheelchair from this story. The guy he put in a wheelchair in this story, he now decides to kill him, oh, you know, Christ. 10 years later. 10 years after this, so 16 years after he put him in a wheelchair. Doug, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, that was extra pathetic. Okay, I actually have a spot in mind for this, looking at this list. Okay. My spot for this is the new 149. This is not as good as 148, Beware of Poison Ivy, that first Poison Ivy story. It's bonkers. It's kind of problematic, but Veronica was here and she kind of talked us around on some of that. Right below that is the arrow and the bat. The last time Josh Wheel was on, and it's that five-part Denny O'Neill Green Arrow Batman story that's just all sorts of weird and has some weird Asian stereotypes in there. You fascist. And this is and that's five parts. That thing goes on. This one is an issue and a half's worth of space. It's a bit longer than it needed to be, but it is not as draggy as the arrow in the back. 
I like that spot. And uh, I'm also going to say, I think our work here tonight is going to be pretty simple because this, this is high to high as we're looking. Yep, that's 149. So everything is between 149 and uh, 160-something. Where, 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 yeah, this is going to be a night. Again, it's all ass tonight. Our second story of the night is Unseen. This is Batman Unseen, numbers one through five. The writer is Doug Mensch. Pencils and inks by Kelly Jones. Colors by Michelle Madsen. Letters by Pat Rousseau. Edited by Michael Seglane and Harvey Richards. The cover dates are December of 2009 through February of 2010. An invisible man is cutting a swath through Gotham City, and Batman, feeling less like he inspires fear in the hearts of his foes, must stop this unseen killer before he spills more blood. And why did Will pick this one? Because I am on my Kelly Jones bullshit, and I figured, how bad could it be? It's Kelly Jones and Doug Bench. You know, I, I probably should have said, you no, know, we could do, you know, the story where Batman goes down to Louisiana hunting for Killer Croc and runs across Swamp Thing and Killer Croc. Or the one where the Joker summons the demon Etrigan. Or any number of other of these stories. The the one with Dead Man and Mayan mummies. But I was like, I hadn't read this one. I didn't remember loving it, but no. I Again, I read it 12 years ago. Came out right at the height of Morrison when Bruce was dead. And this was the only Bruce Wayne I was getting. Sure, why not? And oh yeah, this is a this is a, a a story. This was a tricky one to summarize because uh, it's kind of really all over the place. And every time I think it was gonna do something interesting, it swerved in the other direction. Yeah, nothing is really explored here. Nothing really happens here. Jones is given an opportunity to draw a couple of interesting things. Like the whole idea here is we have an invisible man who is not 100% invisible. So sometimes Jones gets to draw like skeletons with blood vessels or skeletons with like some meat attached. Uh, and it's pretty cool. And as, as usual, he draws a fucking stunning Batman. And in the final issue in this series, like Batman decides, oh, shit, I'll take this invisibility drug. Why the fuck not? And uh, he just draws a cape with nothing under it, which is kind of cool. That was, um, that was cool. The cape and gloves and nothing else. That was neat. But uh, I think Mensch just I don't know what he was doing here. This is alternately boring alternately stupid alternately just what the fuck am i reading for those of you out there who are in tune with comics coming out now over the course of the past couple of years marvel has had this habit of giving older creators a chance to come back and write stories featuring characters they were well known for i mean they've been doing it with chris claremont for years but they recently let ron mars do a silver surfer miniseries peter david is at this point almost exclusively doing 
these sort of weird legacy miniseries, you know, Hulk miniseries, Captain Marvel miniseries, uh, New Fantastic Four. There's an X-Men book, X-Men Legends, that is just arcs like this. That's what this is, only 12 years ago. This was, Techbench isn't doing much. Let's, I hate to use this as a phrase, it seems so terrible to say, but let's throw him a bone and give him a miniseries to do here. Because why not? Reunite him with the artist he's probably most famous known or working with. I will say one bit of the art that did jump out at me draws a freaking terrifying looking black mask. That oh, yeah. Skeletal black mask. A character Mensch co-created with the artist on the third story tonight, by the way. So weird synergy there. An artist who, again, that that was a paycheck book. We'll get there. <laughs> this guy, this scientist, Glass. Nigel Glass. Okay, A, you can't name a character in a superhero comic, Glass, because all I hear is Samuel L. Jackson from the end of Unbreakable. All right. I just want to say for the record, if one day I can meet M. Night Shyamalan I'm going to fucking punch him in his face for glass. That was a terrible fucking movie. And I completely gave up on M. Night Shyamalan after that. You're not going to trick me again. You're not going to convince me to sit through any more of your shit. You had a chance to make a sequel to Unbreakable and you fucked it up. You fucked it up real bad. Glass, this glass, not that glass. (laughs) Again, this is this aggrieved scientist who this formula that makes you invisible this trans looks it, it also affects your mind and it makes you crazy it's talking about serotonin and dopamine it alters your brain chemistry yeah which i don't think that's how any of this works <laughs> but nonetheless again he's this guy who's just like I'm angry at everybody. You you fired me. You used me. And now I'm going to exact revenge on you. You dumped me. Yes, you dumped me. You evicted me for not paying my rent. That's your fault. And we don't learn until the third issue that he worked for Wayne Tech and that he was fired for unethical experiments into human tissue. Yes. Actually, all three of these stories tonight have weird late second, early third act things that happen to make the plot work. This book had what is, by the way, going to be the episode title and is, I believe, the most unintentionally funny thing that I have read in any of these. And I don't, I I think it was unintentional, but it might not have been. And I don't know, but Batman, as he is pursuing the, at this point, fully invisible glass and he's figured out where he is and he jumps on him and he grabs him and he thinks he's naked and greased. Yeah. This guy covers himself in grease after he gets naked to be slippery and naked. What the fuck? 
yes, this episode is definitely called He's Naked and Greased, by the way. There was another panel that I tweeted. I think this was later on in the story. And this is what uh, Glass says as he's, he just caught fire. The hair fire is gone, but my bones are coming back. Once you've written that as an author, I think you've you've just lost it. You've you've lost the thread. One fucking infuriating thing about the story is that Glass monologues constantly. Oh my god, he can't shut up. And like none of it is good. No, and he he says the same things over and over again. This was another book that was not written for a trade, so there is a lot of internal recapping. But unfortunately, it's from Glass. It was like, oh my God, why won't you shut up? And one of Black Mask's henchmen is a guy named Homolka. It's just me. Does that look like Riff Raff from Rocky Horror? Possibly. The long hair, the... the uh, but I know that every time he's involved in dialogue, his name is brought up. Like it just seemed like Mensch was just really, really rusty here. Yeah, there's a point also where Batman disguises himself as Matches Malone and goes out and he's acting like a PI. Matches Malone isn't a PI. Matches Malone is a, a criminal informant. Batman must have another identity that's a PI. And when Glass goes after his ex. They don't say that this formula like heightens your strength or anything, right? It makes you, it alters your brain chemistry and it makes you invisible, but it doesn't alter anything else. Somehow he hunts down his ex and he severs her head with a kitchen knife, not an ax, not something that would allow for that easy. And he seemed to do it quickly because her current partner is in the other room. So it's not like he spent a long time sawing. And I know that is, A, brutally murdering your ex like that. In a, is, that's Dr. Wortham's wet dream. To the point that it, it, for a second, I was like, is this homaging that legendary cover that Wortham used as an example of the ax and the severed head? I'm like, no, I don't think it's that intentional. It's, it's an odd thing. And there's another odd bit. There's some weird stuff with women going on in this book. There are only two female characters that have lines. Maybe, maybe someone at like a party or a background scene with Bruce Wayne, but there's the ex who's murdered and the exceptionally attractive wife of this nebbishy Wayne tech executive. There's a line that Glass has about how attractive she is like, that line strikes me as something they had to add in after because this guy is, this is not a, a guy who's drawn in a way to indicate he would have this very attractive wife when he's this like 60 something nebbish with a 20 something year old wife. That just strikes me as Jones drew that. And they're like, oh, we probably should address this. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I'm trying to think of something that Mensch does good here. Okay, here's the thing. And he doesn't do it well in the end because he doesn't really pay it off. But the concept that Batman's been at this for years now and the shock factor, the fear factor of Batman is wearing off. And criminals are now just like, 
he's a man and he's not going to kill us, shoot him, is an interesting idea. It's a really interesting idea. And if it could have been something that they wound up really talking about and dealing with, that would have made for an interesting story. That's an interesting story. But instead, it paid lip service a couple times here. And then in the end, there's, you know, this dark narration about the fear that Batman gives at the very end. But it's not anything that's really part of the story. It's just an idea that appears and then goes away. Yeah, that that whole idea of Batman being tempted, something like Venom plus Man Bat would be an interesting story. They don't really sell this as, you know, Batman needs this advantage. Batman needs to be invisible. Batman needs to be more scary. Like they kind of bring up the idea. They show him you know, taking the stuff and Gordon having to pull him off a glass at the end, but none of it is really sold. None of it has any emotional impact like we have in Venom. There's... That's the spirit of tonight. Yeah. And, okay, and Black Mask. I like Black Mask a lot as a character, but what purpose did he serve in this story uh i want to be invisible get me a scientist who can make that happen yeah i don't entirely know why short of it's a character that mensch created and he likes and he wanted to write again that we got that particular character in there Any number of villains could have worked as the financier or why did he even need the financier? You could have spent any amount of time using all the pages dedicated to Black Mask and his cronies to have Batman deal with this stuff he's going through and just had Glass stealing the chemicals he needed. Yeah, and it seems so dumb for Batman to be so invested into just kind of a low-level thug for him to only eventually determine, oh, oh, it's this glass guy. He spends so much time looking for Moss. Like, where is Moss? Where did he go? Where's his bank account? Like, as readers, we see that it's it's a dead end. It's a waste of time. But I just, as a detective story, it's not much. I think that's exactly what this story is. It's not much. (laughs) I would call it a trifle, but that gives trifles a bad name. Oh, burn. Yeah, a trifle is fun. A trifle is light and airy. This was a slog. Yep, exactly. Five issues that could have been done in two, maybe three. And I don't care about glass. I'm really glad that Glass never showed up again. Thank God. There's just nothing. Oh, boy. Boy, boy, boy. Yeah, I I think some people who set out to write comics truly are dense. Sean Gordon Murphy is not a smart guy. He thinks he's smart. He is not smart. Minch... I think just had a very, very bad whatever. 
Yeah, because we will read plenty more good Doug Mensch over the course of this podcast. This was not one of them. No, not at all. And really, this doesn't get beyond Batman versus the Invisible Man. Like, there's nothing more complex or complicated, even as it introduces this idea that, oh, this particular invincibility thing works in stages where it's, oh, we'll take off the skin and then we'll take off the muscle and then we'll take off like the blood vessels and then it begins to eventually becomes bones. Like that's kind of an interesting concept, but we don't really get into that. And it's just, again, more of glass monologuing over and over and over about, Oh, I need more of this, of this drug and it's wearing off and I'm developing a tolerance and Oh, my bones are appearing and now they're disappearing. And, uh, and again, there's stuff, there was something there too with you could have had made this more about addiction. But no, it's just what it is, which is not good. But I think that's about it. Uh, yeah, uh, that means it's time with Batman Unseen on the big board. All right, so as we said, we know we're somewhere between 149 and 169. However, I do not believe we are below 161. 161, when you get below 161, you get into the stuff that is, oh, okay, no. 163 on down is stuff that is just plain offensive. Yeah. It's not just boring or bad, it's offensive. 162 is another lesser mensch, Chasing Clay, which mainly is problematic because you got friggin' four pages of Clayface um, exposition in there. But 161 is One Night in Gotham City, which is kind of offensive. That's the John Burns Man of Steel story with Magpie. This is not as good as the last Batman story at 160. No. We're either 161 or 162. Because 163 is when you get Dawnbreaker, which has Ethan Von Skiver art and all kinds of problems. That's that's problematic. This is either, you know what? I think this is probably right above that. Because as much as Chasing Clay had those four pages of exposition, again, Chasing Clay was only one double-sized comic. This was five friggin' issues that just kept going. I I will agree with that. That makes Batman Unseen the new number 163. And this next story is for you, Alexander. Yes. We knew this one going in. We were not shocked by this one being what it was. Because this, ladies, gentles, and folks, this is Batman versus the Undead. This is Batman Confidential, numbers 44 to 48. The writer is Kevin Van Hook. Pencils and inks by Tom Mandrake. Colors by David Barron. Letters by Steve Wands. And edited by Michael Seglane and Harvey Richards. Cover dates are July to November of 2010. In New Orleans, Batman is once more joined by Superman, the vampire Demeter, and the werewolf Yanko to stop Dr. Herbert Combs who has begun to use voodoo to pierce the veil between the living and the dead. Yes, such everyone. a smart story, Matt. <laughs> yes, everyone. This is the sequel to Batman and Superman 
versus vampires and werewolves. I picked this because I wanted to close that uh, that narrative loop. I wanted to uh, to finish an arc from our first year. You tell me that there's a sequel to one of the worst stories we've read. Uh, we got to read it. And we will circle to that in the end to determine whether this is better or worse than Batman and Superman versus vampires and werewolves. But But we'll save that for the ranking. And right now we'll just discuss this on its own terribly offensive merits all right i'm i'm gonna say at the outset one thing this book has going for it no introduction by john landis and it is one issue shorter than batman (laughs) so much of tonight is coming down to well this terrible thing took less of my life than this other (laughs) terrible thing Uh... okay one thing I will say of this in relation to the original, because so much of this is going to be a discussion of this in relation to the original. Which is at 169 now, just above Batman White Knight. This does not feel like every cameo under the sun crammed into this book. No, you just got Dr. Fate. Yeah. Which doesn't really handle right just because his name is dr fate doesn't mean he's all about fate and predestination it's just a cool name but but nonetheless and his cameo actually almost kind of works because it is a magic story okay you want to know here's one thing there's gonna be a lot of ranting in this one a lot of ranting but but let me let you you know you mentioned magic did you know superman was vulnerable to magic matt (laughs) I was, uh, you know, if I wasn't aware beforehand, I sure as fuck would be aware now. <laughs> and, okay, that was a, a point I was going to bring up. Superman is vulnerable to magic. A magical attack gets beyond Superman's invulnerability. That makes a degree of sense if that is one of his vulnerabilities. But he can still fucking set zombies on fire. Yes! i'm sitting on the couch last night reading this thing and i guess at this point i lean over to you and amber and i are just sitting there like okay i need you to does this make any sense not a fucking lick superman's heat vision just sort of washes over these zombies because they're magical it's still fire yeah, he he might burn them down to skeletons and that might not stop them but you can still affect them Right, if Superman is using heat vision, he is basically making molecules vibrate. He is causing things to combust. Just because the zombie is a magical entity, it doesn't mean it doesn't follow the basic laws of physics. It's not a demon. It's not something that's body is not crude matter. If you could argue maybe if he was firing at a a specter or at a demon, maybe you could argue that but they're zombies they're corpses they still burn kevin van hook not a good writer and okay between the line zombies i hate these guys like really you're referencing indiana jones really okay if we're talking about movie references the two that stood out to me Mm -hmm. And I wish 
I wish this was a lie. I wish this was a joke. Uh, remind me again when this book came out. This was 2010. Okay. I'm, I'm going to take a minute to find the line here because it's so bad and it's so stupid. Uh, and it's such a clumsy attempt at humor that is, uh, it's really unbelievable. Oh, I've got one of those too. Aha, here it is. Here it is. So this is when uh, our, uh, our werewolf has, uh, has done his best to be incarcerated by Louisiana's finest. And he is uh, basically telling his jailers, hey, I might transform. You might want to watch out. Uh, keep your distance or whatever. The jailers are irritated. They're telling him to shut up. And this is, I quote, I done told you like five times to shut up and sit down. Now it's like that deal in the movie, except I don't care if you put any lotion on your skin, you're getting the hose. Fucking Silence of the Lambs reference, Matt. You want to get, you want to know the one that gave me a real groan? Oh, oh! I know exactly the one that gave you a real groan. It's uh, coming from Batman, isn't it? Yeah. Let's. Uh, th- there's a moment towards the end where Batman is has been exposed to the zombie formula, and so he. And it's not quite clear if something has happened to him physically, if it's just in his head, where his eyes and his mouth seem to be sewn shut. And in his narration, his narration, I have no mouth. And I must run. For those of you who are not familiar with your classic science fiction, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream is a seminal short story by Harlan Ellison. May he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. When did Ellison pass? Fairly recently. I thought so. Ellison was probably still alive when this came out. Knowing the litigiousness of Harlan Ellison... DC and Kevin Van Hook must be very grateful that nobody was reading Batman Confidential at this point because he would have sued somebody over that one. So uh, Matt knows his classics, and that's a that's a line that uh, that irritated him. I will uh, give you another movie reference that irritated me. So Batman and the uh, the vampire have cleaned out this museum of plasticized corpses and various things that uh, have come alive quote from batman you're not suggesting that these things just came to life at night like in that movie what 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 the fuck like batman should not be making movie references (laughs) movies are not real life there's so much fundamental misunderstanding of what Batman is. There's a bit where Batman and Superman are standing around and Superman makes some comment about, you know, we don't believe in this occult stuff, which A, is patently ridiculous because, again, they're on a team with Zatanna. They have met the Spectre. But then Batman's reply is something to the effect of, yeah, Okay, I don't either, but now I'm going to go and fight these zombies with the werewolf while you hang out back here with the vampire. Batman can make a joke. Batman can make a dry sort of wry comment, but that's not Bruce's sense of humor. 
that's snark. Batman isn't snarky. No. It doesn't read. Oh, I guess uh, just total random aside, but I would rather talk about a random aside for a moment than this book because we didn't talk about this. This was published as part of Batman Confidential. This wasn't even its own miniseries. Batman Confidential, for those of you who don't know, was the Legends of the Dark Knight analog that they had for a while. They did a Batman Confidential and a Superman Confidential and a Justice League Confidential. And so it was, you know, rotating creative teams and different, you know, stories from different eras of the characters. Many of them are better than this. Yeah, but uh, I am also not not encouraged to check out the rest of the series. I've got to go back and remember because there are a couple good ones. And we haven't even gotten into the truly problematic stuff here. Oh, no. Because... Oh boy, are there some stereotypes in this book. Like, wow, are there some stereotypes in this book? Because, as I said in the description, this is really a book that uses uh, Vodun, which I believe is the proper pronunciation. What is in pop culture known as voodoo, but is Vodun or Vodun? in you know the actual practitioners call it it's a real religion it's a real spiritual belief and instead in 2010 we are treating it in the same way that people treated it in the 50s as haha look at these i'm not even going to use the kind of words that would have been used at the time even if I avoided the racial slurs, I would be using words that shouldn't be used to address people. But it, it's used as a scare, as this like, ha ha, look at this. It, it's, it's, it's an othering, for sure. Yes. Oh, it is um, absolutely an othering. But there's no sense in reading you know, these two stories that Van Hook is curious that he does research, that he tries to dig into a story. Say whatever you will about Tom King. Like, there's depth. There's something trying to speak to some kind of larger emotion, larger human connection in all of his Batman work, right? We might we might disagree with his, his storytelling techniques, but there's something there. There is nothing here. It's, it's all shallow. It's all just not based in fact right there's there's one throwaway line about how bruce wayne and the bruce wayne charities have donated a hundred million dollars to rebuilding the ninth ward after katrina let me tell you what a hundred million dollars would take care of it it would be done d-o-n-e done given a hundred million dollars would absolutely take care of all those problems that's just an example of not being able to talk in real world terms and a writer in a mainstream comic book should should be able to handle that stuff. And boy, the voodoo priestess, I'm going to use the phrase here, is such a stereotype with her lumbering zombified son, who is an awful stereotype as well. And three-fifths of the way through, it's something like, oh, we're leaving Louisiana and we're going to the fictional nation of Corto Maltese where we're going to find 
another voodoo practitioner who doesn't get a name. I had this problem when we did Shaman with the indigenous titular Shaman who didn't have a name. Here again, we have a character of color who is not given a name. And Corto Maltese has undergone some other disaster that we don't get explained here. Yeah. Some Katrina analog. Yeah, they had an earthquake. It was like, all right so there we go we just need to draw parallels and there we are and then in the last issue we suddenly get a white witch figuratively she is a person of color but she's addressed as a white priestess who again out of nowhere and the vampire and the werewolf are just kind of there doing their thing and there's stuff going on where it's like, oh, the vampire is acting more savage. And oh, the vampire's girlfriend, who appeared like the very end of the last miniseries, she's still here and he's still feeding on her. And she has about as much agency as the chair I'm sitting in. But she does run away at the end after the climactic fight just kind of peters out. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. The end, the last issue of this, you know, I started reading this and I was like, I got through issue one and I got through issue two and I'm like, okay, this is bad, but this isn't as bad as the first one. I think this one might be better. And then about halfway through issue three, it jumps the tracks hard. Still don't know if it's worse than the previous one, but It went from, oh, this is bad, but I'm not ready to tear my hair out, to what the fuck? (laughs) The heat vision thing. And, And there's, you know, as Combs and this voodoo priestess that he's allied with, you know, start summoning the dead, out of nowhere, there's prom night zombies. Like, they're mostly these really old corpses but suddenly there's a guy and a girl who are clearly still dressed in their prom regalia if someone dies in a prom night accident do you really bury them in the tux and the prom dress i have to think that that's a night of living dead reference right yes but at the same time why no mm, it's very forced Van Hook just likes making these movie references because that, that's good writing, right? References? Yeah, that's something. Uh, this is not good. No, and I'm I'm glad he didn't write more comics. And, 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 that, and that feels mean. And I've, I've felt kind of mean, like having some of these thoughts after reading this these books. And, you know, not everybody's cut out to be a comic book writer. And it sets up a third, but it never happened. And I think we're better for it. (laughs) Our list is better for it because we don't have to put a third one on there. Hey, you never know when uh, Kevin Smith is going to come along and finish Widening Gyre. Twitch. (laughs) Twitch. I mean, he's writing all this stuff for Dark Horse now. You know, he's he's getting back into the swing. You know what? God, God bless you, Kevin Smith. You're coming back and you're doing Clerks 3 and 
you're starting up a, a Kevin Smith universe at Dark Horse. God bless you. Some of his films remain favorites. Dogma, not bad. I can watch Dogma regularly and still enjoy the hell out of it. As opposed to regularly reading Batman versus the Undead, which I will not do. Oh boy. No. Uh-uh. Not gonna revisit this. Let's do it, Will. That sigh of exasperation means it's time to Batman versus the Undead toward the bottom of the big board. All right. Now we, we answer the question. Is this worse than Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves? My gut feeling as I was reading it, no. Because we don't have all of those goofy cameos. It is shorter. And we don't have a whiny crybaby Superman in it. Yes. And while this is not Tom Mandrake, an artist who I really like and look forward to covering more of his work in this podcast, at his best, it does not feel as completely rushed and awkward as the original did. There are some nice double page spreads. Oh, and by the way, there's a whole bunch of this that are sort of narrated from the point of view of a zombified ancient wolf yeah (laughs) yeah that was weird if there was any artistic weak point here i think it's the coloring your Mm. your zombie should not be a uniform brown so mandrake i think did just fine it's the it's the colorist who uh probably should have sharpened the game a little bit okay so this is then above 169 congratulations okay here's here's a, a question can it go higher than widening gyre at 167? I don't think so because widening gyre, while it has some problems, is at least pretty readable until the last issue. Yeah, it it told a story. Uh, it was a bad story, uh, but this is still just a convoluted mess. Like it is not fundamentally different than the first one it's just marginally better i would even say it's better it's less worse <laughs> i will give you that so it's below winding gyre so that means it is either going to be 160 the new 168 or the new 169 below that is stop me if you've heard this one the superman batman annual that one with deadpool and some real problematic misogyny uh you mean dead shot no deadpool it's the the flashback to batman and superman on the boat but there's various characters from earth 3 showing up you get owl man and ultraman and the deathstroke of earth 3 who is basically deadpool they just don't get to say his name they ah, keep okay. pooning it he's like i'm deadpool or something like that he keeps getting cut off where he can say deadpool ah I have forgotten most of that book. Yeah, um, Corey. That's that's not the one with uh, the bomb, right? That's not the one where uh, Superman says, "Oh, our Batman no, says, oh, if you touch me." That's up at one sixty one. That's one night in Gotham City. Ah, man, it's still yeah. number three. Right. This is Joe Kelly and a buttload of artists. Lois Lane weight shaming supermodels. Eating disorder jokes. Ew. 
a lot of very forced humor like this yeah we're we're in the right area we definitely are was it at least a readable story from a to b to c because that's not something van hook can do no this this one it, it falls apart in the last act a lot like you're the Deathstroke has been hired to assassinate Bruce Wayne, and suddenly this alternate reality Deathstroke is getting in the way, and then the crime syndicate shows up, and it's really all over the place, too. These are really comparable. I, I think we might have to go back to the test we've gone through tonight. Stop me if you've heard this one is shorter. It's more personally offensive than culturally offensive. There, there isn't like, hey, let's make fun of a spiritual belief. That's the thing. There, he's making like jokes at the expense of these. Lois Lane makes a joke that causes two women to go into the bathroom to vomit up their lunch. It's an eating disorder joke. That is actively offensive. This, the voodoo stuff, is offensive. Not arguing that point, but it feels like he's not trying to be offensive. He's not trying to make a joke at anyone's expense. He's just very bad at telling jokes. Yeah. Stop me if you've heard this one. That is making a joke at the expense of people. Seems like we got the new 168. Yeah. This, I think, is now our worst show ever. Yeah, I mean, no story, no one episode has two or three issues in this span. I sure can pick them, Matt. <laughs> you, you, you sure did. You sure did well. But you know, as we said a few episodes ago, we needed to put some stuff down towards the bottom to to make the stuff up top look better, and and we certainly did. Mission motherfucking accomplished. Fortunately. Next week, we're going to be in better space because next week it's Halloween week. So it's time to read the three Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale Batman Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween specials. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote, June, Conduit of Outdated Joke Names. June, come on. Josh Wheel, Mrs. Abigail Hartbaum. Thanks for picking Venom, baby. Asimov fangirl, Tony Thornley, Sam Hopper, John Wickham, Robert Secundus, and Tim Rooney for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and on ComicsXF.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon, where you can get shoutouts, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLast1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. I'm also out of here. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Bat Chat roundup of new Bat books, for my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.